listening to the 4-7 Podcast, the podcast where two normal guys interview and reminisce about their favorite Christian artists from the 90s and today. Hey, hey, everyone. Michael David here with RJ and our special guest, Josiah Prince from Disciple. Hello. Thank you. Josiah, now Josiah has that heavenly voice right now because he has that special microphone going on. I do. It's true. I uh, yeah, I, I you know, I custom ordered it just for this podcast. So that's, uh, that's what I'm talking. See, we're getting big. We're getting yeah. big, uh, RJ. Uh, I'll invoice <laughs> you guys later. <laughs> well, Josiah, thank you so much for being our guest today. We really appreciate it. Sure thing. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So you have an interesting career. So far, that's that's what I say. Yeah, no, like no, you, know, you really, really do because you started in Fillmore, you know, back in two thousand six, right? Actually, Philmont. 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 Yes. yes. Common problem and a, a, an oversight that we made in naming the band uh, <laughs> is that there was already a Christian punk band that had, had a very similar name. So you're like not the first, probably the 500th person to, to do that. So don't feel bad. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, started that band basically at the end of high school. Um, and uh, and yeah, pop punk, that was my, my first love, really. Um, and, you know, stuck with that for... The life of the band, which was seven-ish years. So how did you how did you get into that? Like, how did that band just start? Uh, there's know, always I, a beginning. Sure, I was just in Charlotte, North Carolina, is where I'm from, and um, just I had you know I had a couple of bands in high school that I was playing with, and they weren't very serious, as you know, as most musicians who have ever been in bands were usually you know had bands in high school that weren't very serious. Uh, but I, I knew I wanted to to be more serious, and. Um, connected with some guys who were starting a new band and that became Philmont. So, uh, and they, and they were really serious and kind of had, had more experience. They're a little older than me and, and had more experience playing and touring and booking shows. And so, um, it was a great time for me to get in cause, um, I was totally ready to, you know, commit on that level and, uh, still went to college after high school for a couple of years, but then we signed a record deal in, in, at the end of 07 and, um, with EMI and I was like, see you college. Um, <laughs> so that was always the goal the whole time. So, so, you know, once that happened, I, I, uh, just walked down that path and am still on it, I guess. <laughs> so here's my question for you. So when you, when you were in Philmont, yes. Um, was it always a missional band? Did you always want to be a Christian band, or did the, did your did, did your faith kind of grow and that kind of turned into what the band became? Yeah, I mean, we had no interest in being just like a club band or a, a uh, you know um, just you know mainstream band. Um, we 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 didn't know enough. We didn't have the experience to really know what the difference was um, as far as the market goes and. We just kind of thought that maybe there was, you know, you would just make your music and then it would go wherever it went. Um, so to us, it wasn't until we got signed that they actually kind of started asking us, like, okay, like, which direction do you kind of want to point? You know, which, which, where, where's your heart? Um, and they asked us if we wanted to focus on uh, marketing to mainstream indie kind of stuff and playing clubs or if we'd rather play churches and uh, or more of the Christian tour circuit. And that was for sure where we felt more, you know, comfortable and called. And we were all just, you know, we were all youth group kids who 
had come up through that and all of our songs were really geared towards the like strengthening of the faith it wasn't necessarily missional in terms of like getting people saved but we definitely felt like our calling was to uh, write songs for the people who had a foundation, um, especially young people who like kind of had a foundation and weren't really sure how to grow in that way or progress. Nice. So I have a question. So now, did you grow up in a Christian family or did it, how did that happen? Yeah. So, uh, my dad was actually a pastor, so I was actually born saved. You were a PK. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, no, I always say that, but uh, <laughs> I've never heard a born save. I'm using that from now on. You can you can use it for sure. Uh, born save sounds like one of those cheesy Christian band names. Totally, totally. It might be my um, new band name. <laughs> hey, come it. on, yeah, I'll produce it. Um, so uh, yeah, my dad was a pastor of a small uh, non-denominational church in Charlotte, and um, so yeah, grew up in a Christian home. You know, I was homeschooled and um, just had a very like kind of small uh scope of <laughs> influence and um experience uh all the way through my childhood and into my teenage years and then went to a christian high school um and so for me it was it was yeah i mean i was i was saved very early in my life and um and just it's always just been kind of at the front and center of of my life i would say now before you became a, before you became a full-time musician mm-hmm who were you listening to? What was your inspirations? Yeah, earliest stuff was uh, Michael W. Smith and DC Talk. Um, they were like my two favorite artists before I discovered uh, Reliant K, which is was my like you know mind blowing moment of oh my gosh because I you know <laughs> I was probably you know eighth or ninth, eighth or ninth grade and uh, I had friends who would listen to Blink One Eighty Two and the secular stuff that. I was like, oh, that sounds really cool, but I know it's like, you know, in my mind at the time, it was evil yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or, or really bad to listen to that stuff or or whatever. Now I love Blink-182, uh, but, <laughs> but back then it was like, oh, I can't listen to that. So when I heard Reliant K, who sounded like that, but with Christian lyrics, I was just blown away and I wore out, you know, those records. And that was, you know, uh, th- I, at that point I was like, okay, there is music like this. I want to make music like this. And Philmont really was, I mean, for all intents and purposes, we wanted to be Reliant K, and and that was all of our favorite band, and uh, and and we we loved the clever lyrics and the clever songwriting, and we all just kind of chased that for for the whole time we were a band. I am not going to lie, my very very ever tape I ever bought, and actually I didn't buy. My parents bought for me was Michael W. Smith, "Go West, Young Man." Yes, telling oh, you right so now, good. I. I would not only. I'm only gonna admit this because you because you brought it up. <laughs> I grew up loving Michael W. Smith. Yes. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, people. Here's the thing. Like the the world at large knows Michael W. Smith as like oh, place in this world and friends, like kind of cheesy '80s piano ballads. Um, but I mean, the songwriting and orchestration on like everything in the '90s that he did was amazing and there's no there's nothing wrong with any of it <laughs> he's he's borderline a musical genius because if you look at his uh his instrumental albums mm-hmm. yep. he he wrote all those oh, yeah. pieces orchestrated arranged yeah so good and and yeah then and, and to be able to that, that's like okay so so really i didn't even mention this but even before all that i was a, a fan of the beach boys and brian wilson and um that's like what we listened to in my house was oldies growing up. And so like, I just was drawn to the beach boys and Brian Wilson is that same way where he was like this genius orchestrator and songwriter, complex, uh, arrangements and musicianship, but would package it in, 
in these amazing three minute, two minute uh, radio hits, right? Mm-hmm. And so Michael W. Smith's kind of the same way, like knows everything about theory and composition and arranging and orchestrating, but also knows how to package that into a three minute radio hit um, with something catchy. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I've, I've always just loved that balance of guys who can uh, kind of have both. You have all the knowledge and skill and expertise to do the complex stuff, but also the, uh, you know, kind of perspective to put it into a commercial kind of product. Yeah, I agree. He's a he's an absolute genius with his. Well, actually, I will say that I was just gonna say lyrics, but fun fact: he does not write his own lyrics. Who's that? Michael W. Smith. W. Smith. Yeah, I know he had like a lot of co-writers over the years. Um, but yeah, his first like th- like three or four albums, ninety percent of his lyrics are written by Wes King. Wes King, nice. That's awesome. So <laughs> I love anyway, that. I mean, that's the yeah. It's just like uh, like Elton John too. You know, I mean, Bernie Taupin wrote wrote most Elton John songs that everyone knows. And really, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. That's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, it was a pretty much the uh, career long collaboration between the two of them, and and you know, Elton John was the artist, and he you know would perform, of course, and and sing and write the music and melodies. But uh, but yeah, it's like. That's, and actually, Brian Wilson's the same way. He had he had music, uh, lyrical co-writers for all the Beach Boys uh, stuff, Pet Sounds, and all that. So it's uh, it's not that uncommon. So here, so I, you know, I, I the question begs to be asked now: Is writing music versus writing lyrics two different talents? Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, ideally someone can do both, and people can. There are plenty of. I mean, I live in Nashville, and. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of awesome songwriters who can do both really well. Uh, usually, I would say lyrics is a more um, prestigious uh, talent to have and more and more um, unlikely to find. A lot of people, because it's kind of like one of those things, once you learn music theory and composition and ear training and all that, you can kind of acquire those skills to write cool music and innovate musically with those tools lyrics is a much trickier um thing to nail down and it's a much trickier talent to hone and there's not just like curriculums on how to write lyrics because you kind of just have to have like an instinct for what you're trying to say and how to say it really well and really concisely and really emotionally um so yeah that's how i would say it i agree with you because um what i would say my favorite lyricist believe it or not because like this whole this, this whole podcast this is it's about Christian rock hardcore metal. Yeah. But my favorite lyricist is actually um, Andrew Peterson. Oh yeah, heck yeah, so good. He is a beast of a lyricist. Yes. When he, like like the song Tools or the like, it's just songs that you're like, wait, let me think about this. Oh, that's that's the way he puts things is amazing. Yeah, that's that's uh, the, yeah. In that way, it's almost like, and that's why there's why there's so much wrapped up in it because you can be a great lyricist and just be all about emotion and you just know how to express an emotion really well that's one thing but then yeah there are lyricists like him and uh other people who can write something that changes your mind about something or makes you like oh my gosh like like you said i've never thought about it that way and can really like teach you new philosophy or theology or doctrine or whatever just in a song you know what i mean and uh i think that's incredible yeah so uh you mentioned you were in nashville uh, before that, I think you said you grew up in Charlotte. Correct. Um, the move to Nashville. First off, Nashville is one of my favorite places in in the world. I, I was there a couple years ago for the Bad Christian Conference. Oh, um, nice! That's awesome in, in Nashville. So, yes. uh, which we'll get to later because you are doing some stuff with the loyal or loyals. Uh, Dan Correct. Allen. So, 
Uh, that's where I saw them for the first time. Nice. Um, but uh, the move from Charlotte to to, um, to Nashville, living in Nashville now, uh, what's that like uh, for you? What's the difference? As you mentioned, growing up in a very small, uh, non-denominational mm-hmm. church, you join a band. Now you're touring with Family Force 5 and, <laughs> and uh, Addison Road and all these bands. Um, Correct. Yeah, what's that like? Yeah, man. I mean, that was that was really like, yeah, my introduction to just the world at large was like actually traveling across the country, you know, because, uh, yeah, it was very I, I, I wasn't like mega sheltered as a homeschool uh, pastor's kid, but, you know, definitely somewhat. And, um, you know, it was it's 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 it definitely opens your eyes and mind really fast once you start going out and seeing all these other places, other cultures, even within the same country, you know, within within the U.S., it's like all these different cultures and kinds of churches and denominations and um and, and even more so with disciple as we you know go overseas and stuff and, and different countries and see what christianity and culture looks like uh in all these places like oh okay like you really do kind of get this perspective uh but yeah so for me moving to nashville you know it's actually pretty similar uh to charlotte in a lot of ways as far as you know fairly big city and uh in the south uh, a lot of transplants, but it's still kind of Southern, you know, culture. Um, and, you know, Bible Belt church is, you know, churches everywhere. <laughs> um, so, you know, for me, it was it was not some a, a real jarring experience. And really, I've been spending a lot of time out here anyway. And so um, we've been looking forward to it. And once my wife and I got married, um, we lived in Charlotte for one year and then moved out here. That was always the plan from day one. So, um, so yeah, it, it's it's awesome, though. I mean, as far as music goes, it's like, I could have, if I stayed in Charlotte, you know, I could have pursued what I'm doing and there are very few people doing what I do in Charlotte. So it's like, that would have been, you know, I would have had maybe a bigger market share or something, but way less opportunity. You know what I mean? There's way fewer people who want your services or, uh, there's way fewer talented people to collaborate with in a place like that. Whereas here in Nashville, it's like, I mean, just everyone's doing it and doing it well. So um, there's just way more opportunity for collaboration and, and work. So I, I got to ask you this question. You, you were signed to Forefront Records. That's right. Do you re- did you realize at the time how big of a deal that was? Oh, yeah. Literally, when, when our managers, we had gotten a manager. We, we played Cornerstone Festival in Illinois um, in 2006. And... Um, Oh no, 2007. We played in 2006 as well, but in 2007 we had a manager who had uh, we had just signed with out here in Nashville, and he knew somebody at uh, a couple of the guys at Forefront or EMI at the time. You know, they were they were Forefront, but also EMI, Sparrow, all that. Um, and he kind of turned them on to come to watch our set at Cornerstone Festival, and they came and saw us. And yeah, when we when we started talking to them, and uh, I knew Forefront Records. I mean, I, I was the CD liner note junkie, you know, kid. Oh. Ho- homeschooled, you know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm buying CDs and I'm sitting there all day reading the liner notes. And I am like, totally with you on that one. Yeah. And so I had so many Forefront CDs um, in my collection. And, you know, between DC Talk, Audio Adrenaline, PAX 217, Bleach. Oh, PAX. Um, yeah. And they so, were like the nine Forefront Records was the 90s Christian label. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I, was, I used to line up all the back of the CD. So you'd yes. have the black and the yellow writing. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then Sparrow too, I mean, it was, was Newsboys and, and, uh, Sanctus Real and, uh, Earth Suit was one of my favorite albums back then too. Um, and so it's like between those two that, which are under the same EMI umbrella, you know, we're going into that building for our first meeting with them. And I was just like geeking out so hardcore. 
um, and telling my parents, like I kept like just geeking out to my parents about it's forefront records. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it was, it was definitely like the probably at, at, at the time I was still really young and didn't have much experience. And the fact that we got that deal is still pretty crazy. Honestly, it was right at the end of the era where <laughs> labels like that were just signing up a bunch of small bands to develop, uh, especially rock bands that does not really happen anymore with major well, labels that, well that's the thing like if you, if you think about it forefront records was literally like the last christian like rock label well yeah as far as majors go for sure because tooth and nail i think is still now carrying that torch you know but but yeah at the time it was like forefront was the last like yeah major label supported uh you know place where all these smaller rock bands so they signed us and they signed a band called abandon i don't know if you remember them i don't remember them um they had they had two albums that that like they were kind of the killers sounding and um yeah. they had some good like you know some some decent some decent success and then there's a band called this beautiful republic that was on our label as yes well. and yes. Uh, they had a couple albums awesome band so we toured with all those guys a lot but it's like it was right when yeah itunes was becoming you know a thing and, and the whole shift from cd sales um and the housing market crash so like for for music you know industry and economy it was all like tanking right around the time that we signed and recorded our album uh and pop punk was also on the way out like i i don't like make any bones about saying that it was it was not really cool anymore by the time that we were uh doing our thing and getting signed like clean really clean vocal pop punk was not as cool as uh a lot of the more trendy kind of ed you know Bur you know burgeoning edm dance pop type stuff um and so for us we were, we had a lot stacked against us when when our album did come out um and we, you know had an amazing time and wouldn't trade it for the world uh but you know it was just kind of unfortunate timing in a lot of ways wow i you know what i never thought about the 2008 kind of uh financial recession that we went through there um you're probably the first person to bring it up but you you come into this huge kind of uh success very quickly um and then this hits can you talk a little bit more about what kind of damage that did to the rise <laughs> well it's funny for us like because for us we signed and we started going on these tours and for us they were the biggest tours we had been on but the, the bands that we were opening for were saying things like oh man like attendance is so down on this tour this year because of this you know the economy and the recession and stuff and uh and so we for, for us we didn't really see it the same way but we just heard people talking about it it's like oh and then when our record only this is, this is gonna sound crazy our record sold like thirty thousand units uh which now would be awesome but at the time um was seen as like a pretty bad showing um and and so that was another reason it's like okay people aren't buying this cd because of itunes first of all but also the recession the economy and all that stuff so yeah we definitely felt it and and just kind of in retrospect saw more of how okay that was really a factor um for a lot of bands in our situation at the time um and and so you know bands like bands like disciple who were kind of really well established before that and were able to weather through it and, and stuff but a lot of a lot of artists weren't uh, you know the way i see it so and labels were also just scrambling for strategies and, our, and we were like thrown into all these different kind of innovative marketing strategies to try to like oh hurry you know uh increase sales and revenue for the label because they got to sell a certain amount of units for it to you know recoup and all this stuff and so it, it was just really <laughs> a hard time they were trying all this stuff and they kept pushing our album back because they wanted to try this thing and this thing and this thing and so it just kind of got 
dried out, honestly, um, before it even got released. You uh, wonder you wonder if one of the reasons why Forefront was able to last so long during that process is because I know Skill was Skill it was part of Forefront and Art of Records for I think such early a on, long yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, between DC Talk and they still had Toby Mac at the time too. He was yep. the other, but besides us, like young rock bands, he was the only like legacy artist on the label. And so, yep. but between his solo releases and then all the residuals on DC Talk and Audio A, I'm sure it was you know totally fine. Uh, but just as far as like breaking new artists and developing new artists, that was toward the end of when that was actually happening. Now that has not happened. Like those those big labels are not signing young rock especially punkish rock bands uh to develop them you know they might sign something that's already kind of working and a, a band that's already been on a bunch of tours and stuff but um the whole idea of like oh this band has potential let's sign them and develop them and throw 50 grand at the at their you know album to try to make it a thing that's not really happening anymore so there's so. there's there's definitely no i remember back in the day like sony sony red was a label that mm-hmm. they they would put just developing artists under and they yeah. would try to actually project 86 back in the day when they released black um drawing black alliance which was a phenomenal oh, yeah. phenomenal cd when they were on Atlantic Records, they were more of a for developing. Yep. And then all of a sudden they were dropped. Yeah, and that was kind of like one of those things where they had, you know, they were on, um, was it Tooth? I think it might have been Tooth. They were on Tooth. And yeah, then, then, Tooth and then the they Mail. Basically, yep. They basically got, you know, they basically got called up to the big leagues uh, with Atlantic. Uh, and that, that happened a decent amount where a band that had shown a lot of promise with an album on a, an indie label would kind of graduate and like a, a big label would partner with the small label or buy out the small label for the band for an yep. album. Um, and uh, and th- that Disciple had that opportunity a couple times uh, or like that potential opportunity before I was in the band. Um, but it was like they would look for those moments where, oh, this band's really hot right now in this smaller kind of niche scene. Um, but they have some songs that we think we can maybe put on a, you know, end cap at you know, Best Buy or whatever and like make it a thing. Um, and so that was, that was, that happened fairly often, but to varying success. And again, nowadays, not so much. That doesn't even happen. Right. Yes. So 2012 comes up and your band disperses. Yeah. How do you, how do you get called up to Disciple? Uh, there's this guy I know uh, named The Lord. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, Love it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it refresh me a little bit yeah. here. So you left, um, uh, in 2012 and then came into disciple that what that wasn't immediate right (laughs) believe it or not it was within 24 hours get the get the crap out of here and that's why that's how my high school relationships now (laughs) Uh, no that's how i that's how i have to it i i can't not attribute it to to all to god because like i basically we were Philmont. We had been dropped from Forefront, and we had done an independent EP. Actually, we were one of the first artists that I knew of that did a Kickstarter um, in 2010 for an EP, and uh, it was Kickstarter was still very new, um, and we had we barely made it uh, to our goal. But we did that. We did an acoustic tour. We were just kind of like grasping at straws, just kind of plateauing, and um, and that was just very obvious. And we had members leaving. And I just felt like I think I, it's my turn to, and I don't didn't really know what was going to happen after. I just I, I knew that I was getting married and I wanted to move to Nashville, um, and so I was just thinking maybe I'll just produce, maybe I'll find like some higher gun uh, guitar stuff to do. Uh, but I really did not have a plan, and I just told them, hey, I'm really sorry. Like I, I 
I've got to, you know, hang it up too, but I'll give you until like six months down the road. And so they basically decided, the rest of the guys decided like, okay, well, we're just going to call it. Um, Cause like I said, it was not, there was nothing promising on the horizon. So all that to say, you know, there's a six month kind of uh, period of I'm planning to leave and we still are playing shows. And it was in that period that uh, Kevin called and he had gotten my my referral from a friend who um, was co-producing an album at the time for Disciple. And um, he was a, a friend of mine who I'd known for years. And um, so Kevin had a guy leaving and, you know, called me up and said, do you want to come out and play some shows? And so literally uh, the way it worked out is we had already planned for Philmont's last show to be this festival in South Dakota that was always really good to us. And so that was our last show in the books. And I asked Kevin, like, okay, when do you need me to come, like, fill in? And he told me the date was one day after the last Philmont show. Are you serious? Yeah. And That's so nuts. I couldn't believe it. So I literally flew. I had, to, I had to book a flight from South Dakota to Pennsylvania or West Virginia. West Virginia. Um, booked a flight from South Dakota to West Virginia. Literally flew the next morning after the final Philmont show to play my first Disciple show. Uh, and uh, so it was, just, it was insane. I couldn't believe it. Um, and it turned the way it turned out, Kevin was planning on bringing out a bunch of different guitarists and kind of trying out a bunch of guys. But then the way it ended up working out is I came in and I did a fine job, but I definitely wasn't like, I didn't have my chops for like heavy guitar uh, by any means. and didn't have the right gear, um, but I was a hard worker and, and really cared about performing and putting on a good show. So I did that, and then he, two more guys from Disciple left like two months later. Uh, yeah, yeah. Micah and Israel were the other guitar player and the bass player. They were both leaving. And so at that point, it's like, Kevin's like, okay, well, I need you, like, <laughs> uh, for sure. So uh, it just kind of all fell into place and worked out, and that's how it came about. So, like, I've been a Disciple to fan since, ever since my daddy can whip your daddy back nice. on. Back on Rugged Records, was it oh, 95, yeah. I think it mm-hmm. was? It was. One of the reasons we had Brad, they had Brad Noah, Tim Barrett, and they had Kevin. I've yep. always loved their style of music. Yes. Um, to, in my personal opinion, there was not much like them back in the day. Mm. There was there might have been like Galactic Cowboys, uh, <laughs> if, if you if you can remember them back in the day. Sure. But uh, there wasn't much like Disciple back in the day. Cause a lot of the popular bands was like DC Talk. You had Jars of Clay and things of nature. So Disciple for me. They were they were the band that I just was like, wow. <laughs> um, them and actually, if you, I'm not sure if you remember this, but Six Feet Deep back in the day. I know the name, and I'm not familiar, but yeah, they were on Rex Records. Rex Records folded back in like '97, and anyway, but Disciple has always been such a great, great band. I loved from day one. They've always had a worship mentality. Yes, even till even to the time that you arrived. Yes. Were you a Disciple fan back in the day, or was it more uh, like, oh, it's Disciple? Yeah, it it was more casual. Like I just kind of knew them from you know festivals and stuff that Philmont would play. And what I knew about them was that like me and the guys in Philmont would always try to go catch Disciple set if we could because we knew that they would put on. We knew they put on an awesome show. Yeah, and always sounded super good. Uh, and so that was kind of like my perception of them was just like. Now, they're just like legit veteran band who always sounds amazing and puts on a great show. Um, and then I had some friends that were, you know, close to him. And that's how I ended up, you know, getting in uh, with them to begin with. But but yeah, I was definitely not like um, 
for whatever reason, you know, I, I had all the, the all the samplers growing up in the '90s that would come out at the CD uh, store that you would get with your purchase. And <laughs> me and too. For, some, for whatever, for whatever, and I lo- I would wear them all out. And for whatever reason, I never got one that had Disciple on it. And so yeah. it's like I I never really discovered them. No one ever showed them to me. Uh, but yeah, I had everyone else on samplers, you know, and uh, including Project A6 and Spoken and all these bands that uh, you know close to now. That are in a similar market, but anyway, all that to say, like, yeah, I kind of became a fan just from learning the 25 songs that Kevin sent me to uh, to learn before my first show. Um, and so, as I was playing, I was like, oh my gosh, this stuff is so cool and such great songwriting and guitar parts, and um, and it was it was really amazing and eye opening, just like learning this this batch of songs that spanned. Let's see, I guess it was about 12 years uh, at the time that, uh, or 13 years of like because we were playing stuff from I, this might sting a little um all the way up through oh god save us all um which is I, I joined right before that album came yep. out um and so it was you know this just vast expanse of songs and i was learning all these different ones and it was just like really cool to like kind of hear all these different moments and eras and, and albums and production styles and kinds of songs and and yet there's like this through line like you said of just the the heart of the of the of the music and um just the guitar forward like style and all that so mm-hmm. uh it was it was all that was just very inspirational to me um so it was it was awesome just getting to come in and then and then like i said within a few months being like one of the only guys in the band i was it was the weirdest that was the weirdest part i was like so it's just me and kevin and our drummer trent um who was not original either so it's like this is so weird now like to be like the music guy in the band and then we got andrew stanton came on uh, and then our bass player Jason as well. So uh, that all kind of came together, but it was it was a very strange <laughs> moment. <laughs> you literally went from being the new guy to the veteran. Uh, yeah, legitimately. <laughs> yeah, it was so like I was the one like setting up our sessions for the for the live shows and stuff. I was like, I've been here like less than six months, you know. <laughs> well, weird. I came across Disciples music in oh five oh six on cool. this amazing compilation called the x albums yeah um and they were on there and then philmont was actually on there i think in 09 oh nine so. that's right that was um, one of our best best plugs ever that was awesome x x is what did it for me in finding new music like you said yes. it was marketing for a lot of those bands if you're especially if you're a non-christian or you didn't know that side of music exists mm-hmm. was was rare and yes. so Every year I would get that CD, sometimes a DVD, run into yes. some of these new bands, including Disciple back in 06 and Philmont in, in 2009. Um, <laughs> but you go from Philmont, which you said before, pop punk, to Disciple, uh, yes. which is a very different style of music. Um, yes. How was that for you? And going into that, you listened. You mentioned Spoken, another one of my favorite bands. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you have obviously listened to that style of music, but how was it moving into that style of music from Philmont? If you are familiar with the phrase "fake it till you make it," uh, <laughs> that was exactly how I felt. That's, I, that's, uh, that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> uh, the only band that was comparable in style that I was like really, really listening to and like learning their songs on guitar uh, was Chevelle and um, mm-hmm. Big Chevelle fan at the time. They were like, they're a good band. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I, and so I was really into their records, and that was like the drop tuning guitar, you know drop b and, and drop c kind of stuff that's what disciple plays in on guitar but other than that but i didn't even know see i didn't even know that like you could buy a guitar that was meant for that kind of tuning and like i would just tune my standard guitar way down uh to play these chevelle songs and it would sound all floppy and terrible uh like no one ever just no one ever you know showed me and so once i joined they were like oh yeah we use these guitars that are set up with these heavier strings so that we can play in you know these lower tunings 
and uh, it, it blew my mind. <laughs> so all that to say, like I totally was not prepared on the gear side, um, and I was still running like you know the name of the game i'll get technical for a second the name of the game with like guitar tone for heavy bands is like having a high gain amplifier uh tube amp you know and and then you know you might run some effects in front of it or something but the amp is where you're getting your tone but in in pop and indie and pop punk and pop rock and all that it's more about pedals and having a, a big pedal board with a lot of effects and and overdrives and distortions going into a cleaner amp normally so i brought that setup with me to play for disciple and it was totally not right um and like i said luckily i just like knew the songs really really well and so that was i think uh you know a good look for me but the uh my style was my like clothing style even was very different and i you know had no beard short hair wearing like indie kind of uh kind of outfits and and my whole like image and sound was just very different so yes all that to say there was a big learning curve and thankfully they had an amp the band like owned an amp that uh, uh, was called a 5150 that eddie van halen uh made popular and uh and so i was started playing through that one and then i was like oh okay this is what it sounds like i get it and then when andrew came on he's a master of guitar tone and knew all about it so he was very helpful in helping me get my sound um to where it needed to be nice yeah. Sweet. <laughs> so, literally, your life changed pretty much within 24 hours. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't, didn't, didn't know the time, you know, I was just trying to take it in stride and just be like, hey, I'm just going to fill in. Maybe we'll see what happens, you know. Did you feel any pressure? Because, you, you know, you had Brad oh, Noe yeah. and you had, you had a Brad Noe as the original guitarist. He created, yeah. he literally created the Disciple sound. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of counted a blessing that I didn't really know about all that, like, yet. Yeah. Like, I didn't really understand the, like, uh, legend of, of him and his tone and his playing and his writing. Uh, I didn't I didn't really understand that. Uh, I just knew, I, I knew, I was more familiar with the 2.0 guys, we call that lineup Disciple 2.0, um, that was playing the Horses and Hand Grenades album and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're young, younger dudes, and they're good, for sure, uh, but brad was like yeah like a legend really and um and integral to that whole the tone the writing the everything the performances uh but i didn't know that and i'm kind of glad because yeah i didn't feel that pressure about like living up to his whatever legacy um but it was more about just i've got i was not really a guitar solo like guy I, I was more of a uh, i mean i played lead for philmont but that's pop punk and it's like yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's not not near as much like feeling and like you know swagger um a, as there is in disciples music and so i had to really really like focus and practice to get that kind of stuff down but it still wasn't natural well, so um yeah yeah because like honestly with pop punk versus like hard rock like it's those guitar riffs and the hard rock that really bring you in. Yeah, and it's it an you totally Yeah, it gives you a, it gives you a totally different feeling versus pop punk. Totally. Yeah, I mean, pop punk is about like melody and you know energy and kind of this. Gen it's more about the emotion of the of the melodies and the and the energy, whereas. With Heart Disciple, it's like more about the attitude. You know what I mean? And having that just like swagger and just really aggressive um kind of approach and i just didn't have any of that um, <laughs> and so <laughs> it took a while I, it honestly probably took a full year of playing in the band before i felt like okay i'm actually like nailing the attitude of this guitar part 
yeah. where it's supposed to be. So you mentioned, uh, you know, you became a veteran in two months or so, and <laughs> you're on, you're in the band. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, over the years, you have your hand a lot in uh, kind of just the set and look of the show itself, too, um, as far as in, you know, what, you know, how the songs are played, those, I think you said uh, in a prior interview, the moments of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know why is that important to you, and, and why do you think that's important to the band to have a, a really good stage show as well as the music? Yeah, that's definitely just me like mirroring Kevin, honestly, because Kevin like just made a huge point about that early on when I when I was was involved. Because yeah, at this point, you know, when I come on and then the other guys leave, and then we have three new guys at that point. Uh, and then within a year, we would have a fourth, which was Joey, who you already have talked to. But uh, so for Kevin, he's like, OK, like he's trying to shepherd this thing and make sure we're all pointing in the right direction. And so, you know, he was basically preaching all this kind of this this kind of stuff about, you know, what the show needed to be, what a disciple show, like what the standard was um, and making sure that we like kept our eyes on that and uh, not in like a, you know, bossy way, but just like he would make sure that there were moments. And so early on, I was watching him do that and be like, he would be like, hey, let's, you know, before this song, let's do this thing. Oh, hey, before at the end of this song, let's ring this out and do this. And, you know, so he would always kind of be thinking about those things. And so I just kind of like, you know, soaked all that up. And then once I started, yeah, building, you know, the technical side of the set and setting up the actual, because we switched to a different system um, right when our other drummer was leaving and Joy was joining. And so I kind of just became the de facto, you know, musical director who would just kind of set up our, there's a program called Ableton that that's a recording software that we use to play all of our uh, live tracks that has our click, you know, our metronome that we all play to and all that. And now it, now it controls also all of our video content and lighting and everything. Um, and so... Once we started doing that, I really nerded out on, oh, man, like we can like make our show like as specific as possible, you know, and the flow can be very like precise. And I love that. And um, and as I was getting more into producing as well, you know, that's the same kind of appeal. It's like being able to get in there and get surgical with stuff that's happening uh, in the show from the audio perspective and from like our cues and all that. Um, cause like when I joined the band, half the guys weren't even using in-ear monitors. They were just using floor wedges. Uh, they just preferred that. But when you do that, you lose the ability for everyone to like come in on a cue that's playing in your ears. And so, uh, the 2.0 guys were always following the drummer. And so he always had to be counting off on the hi-hat. Um, this is, you know, this is, these are things that maybe not many people, people even notice, but to us now it's like, Oh, it's so great to be able to just like do stuff when our ears tell us to, uh, you know, we have a pre-recorded cue telling us to do something uh, or counting us off. And that just makes the show way more like slick and polished and gives you more opportunity for surprise. And like you said, moments. Um, and so it's, that's super important to us now. And yeah, so it was, it was cool kind of jumping into that and and having someone like Kevin who loves that kind of stuff. And so whenever I would have an idea or have an idea for a flow or like, hey, if this song goes into this song, we can like do this thing that's gonna transition really well. Um, You know, he loves that kind of stuff. And so it's really fun for us now to build a set. And it's for me, it was kind of like coming into this giant sandbox of, oh, there's all these songs that Disciple has that fans like, Um, you know, we don't just have to play the same 10 songs every night. like. We got to play a couple of them every night, but for other than that, we can really build a different set list at twice a year. Pretty much, what we normally do is like you know, twice a year we'll build a whole new set list for our headlining sets, and yeah, there's all these great songs that we can pull from and just make it totally different from the last set. And 
thankfully we have the kind of fans who like to come, you know, over and over again to shows. And so it's kind of an extra incentive for us to make a different show so that they feel like, oh my gosh, like this is a totally different disciple show than I've seen before. Um, so I love all of that. So quick question. Yeah. So, oops, somebody, um, as you guys became Disciple 3.0, did you ever feel like, does, is it, do you ever feel like it's Kevin's band or does it, or does it feel like you're in Disciple? Kevin is uh, the greatest leader in that way in that early, early on, like I said, even when it was just me and him and Trent, um, our drummer, like he just brought me in and was like, all right, here's what we're doing. Like, I need you to do this, you know, let's do this, let's do this. Uh, what do you think about this? Like he, he, he knows he's like the boss, right? He's like the head of it. He's the founder, all that stuff. But he, he prefers a democratic band mentality. He wants us all to be invested and contributing. And he, you know, he, he trusts himself a lot, but he also loves to hear discussion about ideas and, and, uh, different choices we're making. So, so at the end of the day, he has like, you know, the, the, <laughs> the final step of approval on anything, but he, he's a great leader in that he instills trust in everyone in the band. And there's like a mutual trust that we all have to where, you know, if I have an idea for something and just want to run with it, like it's cool. Like it's, it, and, and all of us, feel, all of us feel that way. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a really I, I think it's pretty unique too, honestly, because I think a lot of bands in disciple situation, um, you know, the front man or, or leader would have just kind of defaulted to okay, well, I'm just going to start having hired guns um, for all these roles, and I'll just kind of you know drive the train <laughs> and just hire guys, and uh, you know, like and that's nothing wrong with that. Like manifest, if you know manifest, like when he goes on tour or plays shows, he just kind of has guys all over the country that he'll fly to different shows. Uh, cause that's what works best for him and, and, and his, you know, business model and his approach and all that stuff. And he just kind of drives the train and then he pulls guys in when he needs them. Uh, but Kevin really values, uh, the, yeah, like I said, democracy kind of approach where we all have a voice and we're all contributing. And we all like that too. Me and Joey and, uh, even Andrew still like is still very involved. So, Yeah. Manifest. So, that's that's the name I have not heard in a long time. Yeah, no, he's he just put out an album last year. It's really good. He's he's great. Um, and and yeah, I just use that as a reference because that's someone that is a just a contrast to kind yeah, of yeah, the yeah. approach, you know. Yeah. So you've had a, a ton of success in music, um, and, and actually playing, and in doing some of the research behind this podcast today, I hadn't realized how much your hand is in other bands. Uh, you <laughs> know, in, in the music that they do, you are a producer. Um, and a very good one at that, just from some of the music I've been hearing over the last couple of years uh, with Seventh Day Slumber, Cutlass, uh, Fireflight, uh, their new one, uh, you and Dane Allen as well. Um, yeah, doing some of your, uh, first off, I just want to stop here. Two Christmas stuff I play every year. Lion K's <laughs> Christmas album. Yes. Uh, since day one. Yes. And Copeland's cover of uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you so haven't good. heard, that's, it's so good. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I Co- Copeland, heard, Copeland's one of my favorite bands, by the way. So They are so yeah. good. We're actually yeah. going to have Dane Allen on our show in July. Oh, uh, nice. January. Yes. January. Yeah. 
Um, and so uh, then I heard you and Dan Allen's Christmas cover uh, or medley at that. Yes. And it's, it's amazing. Uh, you, the harmonies in it are, are super <laughs> tight. The quality Thank was you. really, really good. Um, but anyways, to say that, you know, you're kind of intertwined. We just had James Mead for Cutlass on mm-hmm. a little while ago. We have Dan Allen coming up um, and uh, you call it the ranch. That's uh, right. You want to tell us a little bit about how that came about, when that came about and yeah. uh, just what, what's the vision there? Yeah, so you know, when I moved to Nashville, I I had Pro Tools, which is a recording software. Um, I had it only because in Philmont, I was sick of like having song ideas and having to like wait for band practice to get everyone to play my idea. You know what I mean? Uh, and I was like, gosh, I'm like writing all this stuff, and I really want to be able to make demos of my songs. And so I bought Pro Tools and uh, started get, working around in it. I had I had a friend who was a, like a mentor to me and, and kind of taught me how to use it. Uh, and so to me, it was just a tool for getting my songs down in very rough demo form. But then I moved to Nashville and uh, and I'm like, man, I do like you know building these tracks. And I had some friends who were in a, a new band uh, called Danger Scene and uh, and they needed someone to produce their their demos. And so I started doing that, you know, just really basic uh, in a bedroom, had no gear, just like a cheap microphone and um, guitar amp software and stuff. So like um, just kind of started as like, okay, I'm just like doing some demos for some friends. I'll charge a little bit of money, but it's like nothing, you know, substantial, just something for me to do to fill the time when I'm uh, when I first went to Nashville, I was driving for Lyft and Uber uh, between Disciples stuff. Um, That was like what I was doing just to make ends meet. Um, and, uh, and yeah, producing was like this very minor hobby. And then, you know, as started writing more disciple songs, you know, for the attack album, um, once we started writing for that album, I was writing a lot and putting out a lot of demos and I was getting better, you know, at, at recording and, and producing and stuff. And then once I, once we went in and recorded the attack album, um, I always loved the studio so much. And, um, yeah, just kind of being in there, like every time we would record something, I would just feel more like confident in, oh, like I actually like have good ideas and, uh, you know, want to be able to put stuff down. So it just kind of grew from there. And um, it's it's nice being a touring band um, like Disciple where you're with where you're around a lot of other artists often and kind of connecting with artists. And so you know, I'd start doing co-writes with a lot of these artists. And then that a lot of times would then just turn into me producing the song or producing the record. Um, and so it's, uh, it's just been awesome. Like this, uh, this year has been the biggest just illustration of how crazy it is. Like I never thought that cause we stopped touring. Let's see, we played like nine shows at the beginning of this year before the pandemic hit. And, uh, and then it's like, okay, well, uh, not playing shows. And, and somehow I've been able to fill my whole schedule this year with just studio work of, of some kind or another. So, which has just been a huge blessing and just, I can't believe it. Um, I never yeah. thought I'd be able to fill my, my, my year with, you know, with, with production stuff, but, uh, it's, it's been awesome. And so now it's like, yeah, this it's now it's, you know, as big of a thing that I do as touring and, and all that stuff. I've, I've you know, got a lot of projects in the fire and all that. So do you, do you see, I'm not saying you're leaving disciple, I'm asking the question when you leave disciple, do you see you producing full time? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that would make the most sense. I, I like have zero inclination to stop. Uh, and this year has also shown me that it's like, Oh my gosh, get like, it's not, it's not a relief. You know what I mean? It's not a relief that, Oh, we got all this time off. Like, it's not a relief to me at all. It is extremely frustrating, and I 
have all the same like fire and urge to get back out there and play shows. Um, mm-hmm. So like, I don't see that going away anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, like definitely like I don't, I don't see myself ever stopping writing and producing because, you know, you could always do that no matter where you are or what you're doing. Um, and, but I'm, I'm, you know, at this point I'm planning on sticking with Kevin until he hangs it up. <laughs> well, I mean, you haven't had your hand in small projects this year. It's been some major, uh, records. I mean, uh, for, uh, Fireflight's return to rock essentially yeah. this year, <laughs> um, which was a great album. Um, Thanks, man. The, I appreciate that. Seventh Day Slumber uh, yeah. worship stuff is first off. Seventh Day Slumber I've I've liked for a very long time, um, but great. hearing some of their stuff this year, it's just it's some of the best stuff they've done. Um, and, and then Dane Allen, who I've only known for a couple of years uh, yeah. with Loyals, um, that sound is just <laughs> it's needed in Christian music. I mean, it's just we, there's not a lot of good music like that yeah. um and then to hear the new album your return to pop punk uh, <laughs> that's right technically yes um uh, mike i know you wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that new um uh thing i do but let's kind of watch this first at the core i'm a lover of songs i just found a love for music and so grabbing the guitar all of a sudden i was like yes this is it This album is a lot of things, but it's more about the music that made me want to join a band in the first place. The kind of music that just made me want to grab a guitar and go stand on stage and play. Since I moved to Nashville, I've been growing the production side of things and that skill set, and thankfully it's also not in a place where that's pretty much all I'm doing now is playing shows and making music, and it's a blast. The band's called All Right Years, and the album is called Show Me Something. Did we just Inception? I feel like we had him down here, and then him <laughs> speaking on the video. It's that was pretty weird. Mind. No, that was awesome. So, I forgot how long, how, long my beard was. How, do, how, do, how did that come about? I know Soundstripe and Disciple have very close connections because <laughs> yeah, they like... It's yeah, so weird, the whole, it, yeah. like, I mean, the circle is so full, uh, you know, when you talk about, like, oh, things coming full circle, it's, like, the fullest circle of things, because, uh, yeah, I joined, and Micah Sannon, who was the other guitar player and disciple, when I joined, the backflip guy is what most people knew him as, uh, he did the backflip on our, at our shows, and, uh, you know, he was starting this company, and uh, so he left uh, the band, and then he came back and drove for us uh, as our bus driver, even when he wasn't playing. He came back and drove for us for like a year um, because he like still needed to have a job, and that's a great job, honestly, as far as like financials go. Uh, but the whole time he's trying to get his company off the ground, which is a music licensing company called Soundstripe, and uh, then they start taking off and they're doing amazing. And then uh, got several friends who work there, uh, and uh, then Andrew started composing there. Um, for a long time now and uh anyway so they they came and they were like hey you know we're we're trying to fill some holes in our catalog and um would you be interested in making um you know like a pop rock pop punk kind of uh album um just for us to like have on our site for licensing and i was like yes (laughs) um so that was last year that i actually right around this time is when we were making it so me and dane uh dane's like one of my favorite singers and he 
he's very involved in disciple stuff too, just like on the, on the sidelines. Um, you know, he's, he's teched for us. He's come out and played bass at shows. He's, um, he sings backgrounds on a lot of our records. Um, he sings the high harmonies on, on the last two albums. Um, yeah, just cause he's got such a pure high, uh, voice and great range. And so we'll have him come in and do that. So he, he can hit those high notes so clean. Um, that it's just a great tool to have. And so anyway, so I was like, and, and, and so, He's also me and him are the people that love Christmas the most, um, as far as people that I know, and so that's what led to that uh, Christmas medley we did a couple of years ago. Was just literally we were just like, man, we've got to do something Christmassy because me and you know me and him both love Christmas so much. So anyway, uh, I brought him in, or I you know asked him about doing this all right years thing, and uh, we ended up it was, it was a year ago, and right right in December. We're just like all day, every day working on this album and it's like Christmassy all around. And it was just, even though the album's not Christmas at all, uh, it was just a really fun time to be like just hunkering down and making a pop punk album. Uh, and that was super fun because there's really no big plans for the band. You know, it's just kind of like this one-off project. We'll probably do some more recordings in the future, but like, it's not, you don't have all the hangups and like thoughts that have to go into, uh, when it's like your band and you've got to think about, Oh man, like, how are we going to tour this? Who's going to play this? Oh, what are we going to do about X, Y, and Z business, business, business stuff. And, uh, there's none of that. So it's literally just us making fun, uh, pop rock songs. And, uh, yeah, it was such a fun time. Like even that red guitar I was playing in that video is the guitar that I was playing in Philmont when, uh, toward the end. And I haven't really gotten to play that much since then. <laughs> uh, in the past eight years, I haven't gotten to play that much except when I'm producing stuff or playing at church maybe. But, um, but yeah, so it was great to like bust out all that and just like dive straight into pop punk for a full record. So I love it and I'm super happy with it. And, uh, hopefully we'll be doing more at some point. Nice. I really enjoyed the, I, I listened to a lot of it, uh, Thanks, man. In, in the last week or so I, I did no idea you guys were together. So I apologize, but that it was, was fine. it was, it was really cool, uh, to hear that. I love harmony. Uh, I love, uh, the pop punk style. Uh, nice. like you said, Reliant K was one of my first, you know, really, yes. uh, deep dives into bands. And, um, but through all that, uh, earlier, I think earlier this year, you won the Grizzly Award for Songwriter of the Year for 2019. Nice. Um, so wild. that was that was really awesome uh, to That's see. That's wild. Um, yeah, yeah, that was wild. I uh, it's so so cool. Um, I love just the Grizzly Awards in general. I think it's so needed. Um, and uh, and I just I'm a huge fan of what I see as like. <laughs> um, just kind of a shifting of focus for a lot of Christian rock uh, and kind of, I don't know. So Disciple, I'm going to get on a, on a, on a soapbox here for a second. Um, you know, for the longest time, and this kind of goes back to the whole, you know, turn of the industry too, but like um, for the longest time, Disciple's goal was to, or not, not just the band, but like the industry, the team, like the, 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 you know, goal, some of the goal, bigger goals of the band were to like get a single that, did well on air one or chr radio you know the more contemporary uh kind of stuff so like writing these ballads that would you know have radio potential on these bigger scales and then getting on tours like winter jam or disciple used to tour a lot with newsboys you know um and so like in those kind of tours i mean do really really amazing things for the band they expose you to a lot more people and just you're getting your music into the hands of a lot more kinds of audiences so anyway all that to say like right when I joined 
we put out an album that didn't really have a big hit in that realm and then the album after that didn't have a big hit in that realm so like for us we kind of shifted our focus from like okay like because what, what happened was you know radio christian radio has gotten much much like safer and narrower i would say uh, in terms of yeah like that whole movement is just closing and getting narrower and so whereas we used to have a shot at you know having a really great successful single like dear x our biggest song um and that song was number one on on that radio format uh when it was out but now that couldn't happen uh because those stations don't play disciple anymore so all that to say like we kind of shifted our focus to like okay let's just only focus on the people that already like us and like making them happy and writing music that they're going to like and that they're going to tell their friends about uh instead of like aiming for these loftier kind of big industry things and that was reflected in you know the dove awards even it's like the devil well we, we were nominated this year but like for a couple years it's like the dove award for rock was like it, the, the category was like only like need to breathe and uh <laughs> uh you know some of these bands is like that's the rock category is like need to breathe is like the the hardest you know thing you're gonna you're gonna have in there that reminds me of like 1994 this is before christian hip-hop was even the thing yeah their their nominee was carmen back in the day <laughs> carmen riot i remember being like yes. that's like the whitest white guy in the world yeah <laughs> well that's what so like all that to say like now i just love that rockfest records exists first of all like joseph rojas starting rockfest records and kind of giving a home to all these young christian bands that are out there trying to like do the thing um so things like rockfest records and the grizzly awards which is like this celebration of the scene within the scene um and I, so things like that just make me really happy that that's like okay we don't need to like hold out and hope that all oh, the devil words we're going to recognize you know uh a legit rock band uh <laughs> and uh and all these bigger you know winter jam and stuff it's like those those kind of platforms are not really a reality anymore for bands like us so kind of turning the focus more inward toward like okay we've got there is a great fan base of, of christian rock people and just kind of I don't know, just focusing more on, on them and what they want and what we want to make and just making what we, what we want to make. And I think that's what's great about the Grizzly Awards is kind of recognizing that all the bands that are just doing that and just trying to make great rock music that's faith-based. Why do you think it is? Because I remember, let's go back to the 90s, 2000s to 2005, 6, 7. Sure. There, Christian rock was a thing. You know what I mean? Yep. The, there was the there was the major people. They they, they were still safe, but mm -hmm. they were made their majors. There was Third Day. There was Audio yeah. Adrenaline. Yeah. Audio Adrenaline's Bloom album had definitely yep. had a great great sound. Like I'm thinking of um, Not a King. Um, oh yeah, I mean, it's like grunge. You know? It's yeah, like, good stuff. Yeah. But then you had Tooth the Nail come out that during that time. Tooth the Nail. Um, they they had some amazing amazing artists. They, MXPX really helped them become into the mainstream. Yeah, um, and then you had uh, those bands like actually I know I know you don't know who they are, but Six Feet Deep was in Leader Dogs in '94 to like '98. These big hardcore bands, mm -hmm. but now it's not really in mainstream Christian music anymore. It's kind of taken a seat back. What do you think it is that um, yeah, Christian I, artists? I think it's just a shift, you know. I don't think it's like back seat necessarily. I think it's more like we're getting in a different car, like uh, because yeah, CCM music as a whole pretty much ignores ninety eight percent of rock and heavy genres. Uh, like Demon Hunter is probably the only band that like gets some some like 
you know, like new release today might post about uh, Demon Hunter or new, actually new release today is fine. But like uh, some of the like more CCM, like CCM magazine might mention a band like Demon Hunter or something. But they're like the only band. That's and the that funny heavy. thing is like Demon uh, Hunter is like a Demon Hunter is a part time band. They don't sure. tour. They tour every couple of years. Yeah. And but right. you guys, I'm just saying, like, yeah. as far as like they have, they have an impact and they have like a platform um, like that. But yeah, there is so much music that's being made that is just totally ignored by the CCM industry as a okay. whole. Um, and so it, to me, it's just like, but what's cool is like for metal and the kind of those kind of scene uh, artists and that style, there's a great crossover with mainstream and AP magazine and like the hot topic crowd and um, all that kind of stuff. There's a, there's a really blurry line, I would say, like Memphis Mayfire, you know what I mean? Like Christians love Memphis Mayfire, right? Like there's nothing like it's there. They are they are for sure like a you know, band that has a stake in the Christian market, but they're, you know, huge in, in mainstream as well. Um, and, and there's a lot of bands that kind of live in that world. And I think that that's really cool to like see that, okay, there's just great, like Wolves at the Gate too, great example of like mm, great. great band that is like for sure got so much, uh, you know, biblical and scriptural content in their songs, uh, but also has a great, you know, kind of do, does touring with a lot of the, you know, uh, more club type uh, scene bands and all that. So anyway, there's definitely uh, a lot of room there for those kind of artists, I think. Uh, and and whereas for a new band that's like trying to just do straight Christian rock, it's just kind of a lot of those bigger uh, resources and opportunities are just not really there anymore. Like mm -hmm. they were for Disciple and, uh, you know, Red Skillet, TFK, Seventh Day Slumber, you know, like yeah. um, all those bands came up at a time where there were those opportunities to go on those big CCM tours and, and get on those CCM radio stations. And that's not really there anymore. So to me, it's just a shifting of focus of, okay, like find those, you know, couple thousand people who really like you and like just market to them and like make music for them and uh, and do everything you can to like create true fans and because those are better anyway than the fan who just hears the one song on the radio and says oh yeah i like that band um you know what i mean so for, i try to encourage the artists that i work with here you know um to really focus more on that than like aiming for something that's a very small chance uh of of hitting you know what i mean yeah well we don't want to keep you too much longer we are hitting about the hour mark but two yes. things uh, to end on um is uh, worship and fatherhood so uh, you're coming into another, yet another new music project uh, with the worship um, band coming out. I think it's Honor and Glory. Correct. Uh, we talked a little bit about that with uh, Joey, but yeah. um, what are your thoughts on that new um, release coming out or that new uh, project? Um, and and why, why transition now into that as well? Yeah, I mean, that's just like, you know, and it's an idea that we all had and, and Kevin and Kevin and Joey really were kind of the brain fathers of it it's their brainchild uh that's weird um but uh <laughs> uh but yeah like the idea is just like you know we all play worship to some extent like I, I play at my church kevin was a worship leader for nine years uh at his church and joey's played in various capacities over the years and it's like you know people because we'll every now and then cover our worship song live or something right and so people always ask like oh what are you gonna do a worship album but kevin's always been of the opinion that if Disciple does a worship album, there's two potentially negative scenarios that come out of that where uh, either rock fans who aren't into the worship album might just assume that, oh, they're a worship band now and never listen to anything new we put out ever again. 
Or if it goes really well, then all these worship fans would only want us to do worship potentially from then on as disciple. So the idea of the offshoot was so that we can kind of keep disciple what it is and disciple could just be disciple because we really love what disciple is. We don't want to change that. Um, mm-hmm. Disciple has a mission and it's, you know, it's for a certain kind of music listener. Right. Yeah. And so this is a, an idea of just like, okay, let's, you know, let's, let's have a project where we focus on just writing worship songs and uh, putting something out. So yeah, so BEC to the nail is, uh, is putting it out. Um, and, uh, we're working on it right now. I was working on it yesterday. Um, Good. so, uh, yeah, I'm producing a handful of the songs and we've got some other people involved. I can't say too much, but, and I, don't, I also don't know much as far as timeline goes, but we are, you know, neck deep in working on it. The songs are written. Um, so we're just kind of producing it. And I would say, you know, hopefully production's done by end of January and then, on to mix and, and that so you know i would right. say by middle of next year hopefully something will be out um i don't really know anything beyond that it's on a label so it's up to them well, <laughs> i'm definitely looking forward to it i think it was a good decision uh, you know cool. not neither negatively or positively you've got bands like seventh day slumber and cutlass who've made that decision to kind of combined and yeah, and there's totally. definitely a, a different a, a different feel you know when with the offshoot so i think that's great yeah, we just never really want. We just never want to feel like if we show up to a disciple show, we never want to feel like oh, ob- obligated to do anything other than our disciple show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, and you know what I mean. So there's just a lot that would come into it into play, and we felt like this would be the best for us. Everyone's every band's different, and you know every yeah. band's got to do what's best for them. But we thought this was best for us for sure. Nice. Well, I mean, yeah. to end it out here, um, you became a father uh, this year. Um, well, yeah, actually, okay. the second time. I, 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 Sorry, yes. Time. Uh, no worries. So, congratulations on that. Thank uh, you. I, I have one coming in March. So, yay! Um, That's awesome. I'm, I'm on number four at this point. So. Oh, nice. Um, so, you know, bringing... boy and a girl, and I'm done. I'll tell you that right now. I got two. <laughs> That's that's well, where I'm feeling. That's right. <laughs> uh, we're done now, so four, four, four is good. But um, but that changes everything, uh, you yeah. know, in everyone's lives. Um, what did that change for you? Where did your focus uh, kind of move to? How, how does that perspective change for you in your life and in music? Yeah, I, well, I always have just one less free hand than I would before. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, whatever I'm trying to work on. <laughs> I always have one hand that's keeping a kid from electrocuting themselves. Um, uh, no, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was all, you know, it was always the, the, the goal of me and my wife to, to have, to have kids. And so we had our daughter three years ago and, uh, and then yeah, son this year. And um, you know, it's, it's great. It's definitely one of those things, you know, to me, I, I it's, it's one of those life things where everyone can tell you how, Oh, it changes your life. changes your life. You don't really know until, you're in it. You don't really, you can't know. You can't know until it's happening and you're like, wow, okay. Yeah, this is crazy. Like that I've got to think about all this. Um, you know, there, so just aside from just like normal practical, like stuff about trying to figure out scheduling and all that kind of stuff, you know, for me, it's, it's really just made my life better. Like it's, it's not, you know, it hasn't changed anything as far as music goes. Like I said, I'm, I'm still trying to tour till, you know, so I'm not, <laughs> which is a ways off, I think. So it's, uh, it's, you know, there, and, and that's, that's, what's, you know, interesting too. It's like, everyone's different in that way. Every person is different when it comes to that. There are guys who I've seen them come and go. It's like band guys who have a kid and it's like, okay, this is for sure top priority now. And I can't go on the road anymore. And that's totally the right decision for them. That's like, you know, it's like sometimes a bad, like it's like, it's like a, a stigma there. Sometimes it's like, oh, like he, 
you know, I would hear that at least growing, you know, coming up in bands, it's like, oh yeah, he, he like had a family. And so he stopped playing music and stuff. And it's like, well, so like, <laughs> you know, that's like probably the, the probably was the right decision for him, you know? And for me, uh, I feel totally good about continuing on doing what I'm doing and, uh, and, and being dad when I can, uh, you know, being dead all the time, but like being hands on, <laughs> being hands on dad when yeah. I'm here, which now, this year has been the whole time. So <laughs> will, will, will the family ever come on tour with you? They have every now and then, but, uh, there's not like a big plan for that. Um, my wife doesn't love the doesn't love the tour bus. Um, you know, she'll do it begrudgingly, but, uh, <laughs> she, she's not like she, she actually, my very first or second, my second tour, she came out and did merch for us, uh, for, for a month with Fireflight, actually Fireflight and Disciple. Um, and, uh, and she, you know, it was fine, but she totally was not like loving it. She was like, this is fine, but I'm ready to get home. Um, and so she is awesome and, and takes care of the kids when I'm gone and is amazing at it. So I couldn't do it without her. That's the thing too. It's like, I think, you know, it just depends on the relationship and there's just so many moving piece, moving parts in a family and in a, a career and all that. So it's like, for me, it's, I just feel awesomely blessed to be in a situation that I'm in where I can do all the music, music stuff that I want to do and have the family life that I want to have. And, and it all just kind of works. So nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Huge well, blessing. Hey, thank you for joining us uh, today. We really appreciate it. Um, it's been awesome talking to you uh, and Joey kind of covering a lot of Disciple, but also a lot of what you guys are doing outside of the band too, which I find super interesting. So Thanks, man. Um, hopefully, our, hopefully our story's lined up. Hopefully there's no like uh, contradictions. People are like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't lying. know who's telling the truth, but yeah. one of you, yeah. No, it was, it, was, it was really good. You guys mentioned some of the, some of the same things from your perspective, and I, I think it was really cool to hear that. Um, awesome, man. Thanks for but uh, if you don't, if you don't mind, just stay on after we uh, go off, and uh, we'll wrap things up. But uh, thank you for nah. joining us today again nah, on the Four nah. Seven Podcast, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we will uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, fellas.